Um, so, so why'd you bring me into this dog and pony show? Because I'm trying to lighten up the introduction to the podcast. I feel like they're a little stiff and formal. Uh-huh. Uh, so I thought I'd invite my husband, Craig Johnson. To keep things light and, and fizzy and sprightly. And that's you. Oh, yes, me. But I also <laughs> I, was voted, I was voted most sprightly in high school. Were you? Well, I also thought it would be fun because one question I ask you every day, sincerely, and having nothing to do with this podcast um, but I often will ask you what you had for lunch. And your reaction to that is often like incredulity uh-huh. that I would care about such a thing. No, it's not that at all. No, no, no. It's, it's, the, it's the sort of focus on lunch. Lunch was never a focus of my life. It was something I just sort of grabbed on the go when I was running off to, to do things. But since I've been with you... Uh, lunch has become something I think about a little bit more, mostly because I know I need to report to you to... Do you think it's enhanced your life, though, and made it more um, meaningful that you have lunches that you think about versus just shoveling food into your face? Um, I, I, I suppose on some level, I'm certainly... Let me preface this by saying there's a right answer and a wrong answer. Yes, I know. Believe me, I'm married to you. I know there's always a right answer and a wrong answer. Um, I think that my appreciation for food has certainly grown since I've been right. in your company. And, and what I would have shoved into my face, to put it in your words, uh, years ago, um, I would think twice about that. So I know what you had for lunch today because I was with you, but what did you have for lunch yesterday? Oh, my God. See, this is the thing. I, I, I can't quite remember. I vividly remember it because we had a fight about it leading up to it. Oh, we did. What was it? You wanted me to go with you to sushi. Oh, that's Right. And I had an appointment at two o'clock with my own therapist. Uh-huh. And so um, it was around 12 o'clock when you wanted me to go with you to Sugarfish. Yep. And I told you I couldn't do it because I needed to go to my parking, get my parking done and get set up. Yeah. So I drove over to West Hollywood uh, to go to a sushi place I really love called Jinpachi. Mm-hmm. Um, forgetting it was Halloween and all of Santa Monica in that neighborhood was shut down. And so it was a shit show. Uh, so I just kind of turned around when the traffic got gnarly and actually ended up going to Sugarfish, but the one on La Brea. You and went by yourself? The, I went by myself, which I'm happy to do. Sat at the bar. I was happy as a clam, enjoyed the trust me menu. Uh-huh. Um, well, this was my theory all along was that as much as you made it about wanting to have lunch with me, I think the truth was you really just wanted sushi. Mm, let's unpack this. <laughs> I think I wanted both. I think I would have preferred to have had sushi with you. Uh huh. But I was, you know, once you said you weren't into it, I was realized, no, I wanted sushi. And it was a good thing I went, I went to my therapist's office when I did because parking was very difficult yesterday because they were shooting something in that neighborhood and I circled and circled and it took me a very the long time. Film t- crews are the worst. Yeah, they are the worst. And today we, we, we both had lunch together. So you finally had your dream come true. And we went to. I wouldn't go that far, but continue. We had Dune falafel. You had a chicken shawarma plate. No, no, no. It wasn't shawarma. It was just a grilled chicken with hummus. They call it shawarma. They do? Yeah. I don't think they do. They do. It says it on the menu. But you were upset because they didn't have your pickled beet sandwich. Which is one of the best sandwiches I've ever had in my entire life. And I know when you hear the pickled beet sandwich, that doesn't necessarily say, I got to have that. But what makes the sandwich so delicious is that it is so much more than just the pickled beets. That's just one layer of many, including like... These fried onions, a heart, like a soft boiled egg, uh, some feta cheese, olive tapenade. There's lettuce. There it is in these two pieces of focaccia. It is delicious. And this is at Dune Falafel in Dune, Atwater Village. Dune Falafel, which in is Atwater pretty great. Village. And we live in Atwater, so yeah. this is our local spot. And I have to say, falafel is one of the, when somebody says, "Hey, we're gonna have falafel for lunch." It doesn't. I don't know. I, I can only get so excited about falafel, but truly, Dune Falafel. It's special. There's something And we're special. not getting paid at all. This is not some kind of scheme to make money. Although if Dune is listening, we would take your money to promote you more in future podcasts. But I had the- Sponsored by Dune. Yeah, I had the hummus plate, which was also very delightful. Um, well, part of the reason I wanted to have my husband here for this introduction too is that- um, <laughs> it's, my, it's also formal. Sorry, sorry my, my lover in residence, mm-hmm. my um, okay, better let's go half. Back, let's go back to my husband. My husband um, is that our guest today is, um, or my guest that I interviewed when I was in New York is Mark Harris, who is a celebrated journalist. He writes about- 
uh, film. He's written two books. One's called Pictures at a Revolution, which was about um, film in the 60s and the film industry. And his other book was called Five Came Back, a story of Hollywood in the Second World War, which was all about these U.S. filmmakers like John Ford, William Wyler, John Huston, Frank Capra, and George Stevens, who all fought in the Second World War. So his books are really amazing. And he's also an incredible journalist. He's a very uh, wonderful tweeter if you follow him on Twitter. But the relevance here is that he's married to Tony Kushner, who is um, one of like the greatest living writers alive today. He wrote Angels in America. He wrote... Um, the screenplay for the movie Lincoln. <clears throat> and so some of the stuff that Mark and I talk about are just being married um, to a partner that works in the industry and how we Thank work together. Thank you for likening me to Tony Kushner. Yeah, will, you kind of look like Tony I Kushner. I will, I will take that as well. Yeah, so I figured since we're going into the subject, you, you'd be great for the introduction. Well, uh, I have also enjoyed reading um, Mark's writing. Um, in inter- I used to work, I used to day job at entertainmentweekly.com actually when Mark was writing for them. Uh-huh. And I would, I would very much look forward to reading all his articles. And he's so smart about film and pop culture and has just knows everything under the sun there is to know about film and pop culture. Oh, what dun- What dinged? Oh, that was just um, a text message that I should have muted my computer. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, well, it totally threw off my train of thought. I know. Me too. But I, now people know when they hear that ding that I'm getting a text. Well, anyway, well, Craig, thank you for being here for this introduction. It was my pleasure. And as always, if you're listening to this and you haven't already, go to iTunes or go to podcasts in your phone, look up Lunch Therapy and hit subscribe. And while you're there, why not write a review? Because that's good for me. And it's good for you too, because it means I'll be able to keep doing this. All right. Well, here is my lunch therapy session with Mark Harris. Um, wait, so you were saying, so this is um, the first time you've talked about food in public? I think so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's what's going to make it so great. <laughs> well, it's so nice to finally meet you. It's really nice to meet you, you too. Know, we've like, been circling each other because I, I've been to Provincetown a couple of summers. I know, and we were right next door. I can't we, believe that. Literally the next house over, and I didn't know. And Craig met you on the street because there were foxes outside, right? That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. We were all looking at this. This uh, You were there the summer of like these seven baby foxes, and we were yeah. freaking out. And then I found out that you were like <laughs> the, the mysterious guy in the house. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because it's like I'm such a fan of your. So I was like, I don't want to bother him. But then next time I'll uh, I wish knock you'd on bother your door. Me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So okay, so I mean, we'll get into the food stuff in a little bit. But um, okay. I mean, but just cur- in, a, in a cursory sense, like you're you're interested in food, right? I mean, you, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I've I um I well for one thing, I really love reading cookbooks. That's mm-hmm. been like a kind of food therapy thing for me as mm-hmm. long as I can remember. I, I really like cooking, although I don't do it as much as I would like to at all. It, it, it is this thing that gets shoved aside a lot in my life in favor of takeout or because of inconvenience or whatever. But uh, I like to cook. I've always liked to cook. Um, my husband likes to cook mm-hmm. uh, and has has become actually a much more avid cook than I am in the time that we've been together. Maybe I'll have him on next. Too. <laughs> he, he would have very interesting things to say and it would be good therapy. But I'm actually, as I'm talking to you about this, I'm like, I'm kind of curious because I feel like one of the things I love about following you on Twitter and reading your books and stuff is that, you know, you're so um, engaged with culture and, and every form, you know, it's, as much as it's films, but it's also TV, it's politics and stuff. But where, how do you think, how do you feel about food in terms of culture? I mean, do you think it, it counts in the same way as everything else? Or, Well, it's, it's so, I mean, it, in some ways it fits with everything else because it's very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're expressing something about yourself by talking about your likes and dislikes. Um, but in some ways they're less defensible in a way and also less in need of defending, like in movies, in TV and theater and politics, you have to back up why you like or don't like something Mm -hmm. Um, in food. You can, but it's kind of, you know, the most pointless food argument in the world is you should like this. Right. You know, you can go for you should try this. Uh-huh. Or maybe if you did it this way, you would like it. But you can't make somebody like something. But then that kind of makes me think about food critics and the job of a food critic. Because it's sort of, I mean, they're sort of, they're kind of trying to be authoritative, right? And say, this is the right way to make pasta. This is the wrong way. To, you know, I mean, is that... <laughs> 
Right. Well, I think, you know, it's totally fair to judge a good example of something versus a bad example mm-hmm. of something. And I think that's what, what food critics do is sort of measure um, accomplishment against ambition. Right. You know, uh, so that's that seems to me like a completely fair thing to do. But I could never be a food critic. Right. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is like you're entitled to um, to enjoy what you enjoy and then no one's going to tell you you can't enjoy that right i mean is that sort of right and and conversely no one's going to tell you you have to right. enjoy that like i think you know that looks gross and i don't want to eat it is a completely legitimate <laughs> you know expression of of food opinion this is a funny conversation to be having because i did get a sneak preview of your lunch but i didn't study it too <laughs> carefully we're not going to go there yet though okay i was also going to ask you i mean it's also making me think about um in terms of culture, though, like, like, do you think a great meal rises to the level of a great film um, in terms of significance or its capacity to, to transform you or touch you or change you? I don't, and I don't want to sound like a jerk about that. No, I'm but curious. but I don't. I don't think a great meal rises to the level of a great film in that you know a great film is the product of years of work by hundreds of people um, and. Hundreds, if not thousands, of decisions, um, and obviously, a great film can reach millions of people. The way a great meal does rise to the level of a great film is it can be two completely pleasurable hours for the person who's experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, I would hate to kind of rank food as. Um, less than other cultures because I think um, there are chefs who are geniuses and innovators and have have brought pleasure to millions of people through what they do. So mm-hmm. so I would never want to say that those people um, or cookbook writers, because as I said, I'm a huge fan yeah. of cookbooks. And I want to hear more about um, that too. Uh, I would never say that those people are less than something else well it was funny because I, w- I went to grad school for playwriting um, and I noticed a lot of my teachers would like shovel food in their faces and like move on you know it's like there was always a sense that like food is just sustenance to do the real work of culture right. you know and 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 as I pursued a career in food I always felt this feels a little frivolous this feels you know but but I think that's some of what I'm asking about is some of the struggles within me of you know trying to to justify you know spending hours or days or years you know working on you know a recipe or a cookbook or you know and 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 it's interesting to hear you talk about it because um it's part of your answer was that the the amount of people that work on a film and the scope and the size but is that is i guess i'm also wondering about the transform transformative quality of a great meal versus the transformative quality of a great film you know well i think you know a great meal is can be transformative in that if you're expressing complete if you're experiencing complete pleasure from what you eat mm-hmm. it opens up all your senses and like a great meal can lead to great conversation mm-hmm. or you know great exploration of something or sure. bonding with other people who are eating it so in that sense you know it it sort of depends on where are you eating it who are you eating it with yes. um but um you know, it's funny that you said what you said about people just kind of mindlessly shoveling food in because that exists in other um, arts as well. You know, right. like when you have uh, the TV on in the background mm-hmm. uh, while you're doing something on your laptop, aren't you just doing the cultural equivalent of, you know, shoveling food in your face? Yeah, minus even the need for sustenance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it also reminded me of an actual food slash therapy experience that I had, which okay, was perfect. Uh, well, I was once talking to a therapist who mm-hmm. I will not identify. Okay. And I was, um, I was talking about how I was really unhappy with the way I was eating. And like, I have high cholesterol, which mm-hmm. is, you know, controlled by medication and I have moderately high blood pressure. And so I, I was having to make certain adjustments in my diet, but I was saying like, I don't want a diet where the word never is, you know, a part of it. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have any issue that would literally like prevent me from ever eating something I love. And so I said, I want a diet where occasionally I can have the bad things that I love as long as I balance them with other things. Sure. And the therapist looked at me like, 
genuinely bewildered and said, I don't understand why you wouldn't simply, you know, do an intense amount of research about um, eating the things that are best for you and not think about the rest of this. Why wouldn't you simply create a longevity diet for yourself that was purely about health and just factor Mm -hmm. out pleasure from what you eat? And, it was literally as if he had suddenly said to me, you know, well, as a Scientologist, I believe that it was like, it's just suddenly right. like discovering that someone spoke a completely different language about right. food than, than I did. Because but with that philosophy, it's like you should cut out sex. You should cut out everything, anything that brings you pleasure and right, can be right. in life, you know. Um, so, but but yeah. it, was a, it was a jolt. It was a reminder, the, like, first of all, because we don't talk about food with each other very much. We don't talk about our private food right. habits. Like, we all kind of assume that most people are just like us, mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily. That was me. funny that you sent me that tweet. Chris Schleicher, um, the comedy writer who I know in L.A., wrote a funny tweet about, like, he'd rather be asked. How, wait, wait, do you remember what it was? It was like, I, I do. Are you going to make me say it? Yeah, please say it. Come on. <laughs> all right, he, he said, uh, I think his exact words were, um, could you send me a picture of your butthole is, I knew we were going to go here. Uh, could you send me a picture of your butthole is less invasive a question than what are you thinking of ordering? Well, this is a, this is a perfect transition. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you have your choice, butthole, or what did you have for lunch? <laughs> um, I guess reluctantly I will go with what did I have for lunch? Yeah. Okay, so what did you have for lunch today? Uh, today's lunch was a bowl of frosted flakes with blueberries in it okay um now you're giving me a facial expression that's already like betraying your your emotions about your own lunch well the truth is that this lunch there were three options that i could have given you all of which would have represented um some truth about what i have for lunch and i picked the middle option in terms of personal shame okay Um, (laughs) wow okay so i'm very curious like how okay i want to hear what the three options were okay so the the most the most shame driven thing would have been if i had sent you uh as you mentioned yesterday a picture of an empty plate Uh uh-huh because the truth is that a lot of days i don't have lunch and a lot of days my not having lunch is connected to an internal monologue about I really have to start eating better. I hate how much I weigh. Mm-hmm. I really want to lose 10 pounds, 15 pounds. Um, I, I'm going to start today. I'm going to be so pure. It's going to be all about like steamed fish and broccoli. Mm. And, and I'm going to start that purity by not eating. I'm just not going to have lunch. And that way, probably by like three o'clock in the afternoon, I'll be thin. And, <laughs> and, you know, then I can reward myself by eating something, you know, that isn't, healthy so it's this completely self-defeating thing but um uh so that's the that's the shameful one that's the most shameful not eating lunch but i have a question with the not eating lunch did you also not eat breakfast when you don't eat lunch yes but the asterisk there is that i'm a huge night person like it's it's my my awake day is generally from like 10 30 in the morning to 2 30 or 3 in the morning okay um i've always been geared to be more awake, more alert, more interested in things at night. Mm-hmm. And and also, my eating has always been like, it increases exponentially as the day goes on. So I wake up not particularly hungry. I can often go a really long time without eating and without missing it. How about um, coffee? Do you have coffee? No, I don't drink coffee. So no liquids, no food? Well, sometimes I'll have water or decaf tea or herbal tea or something, but I don't use, I, I don't drink coffee. And do you get hungry as this is all happening? I mean, um sometimes sometimes not. Like okay. generally I'm not sitting there starving myself, really agonizing mm-hmm. over being hungry because if I'm really hungry, I'll eat. But right. but I have less of an appetite for food uh in the first half of the day than in the second half of the day during which I could basically eat nonstop. And I'm curious, when you talk about nightlife or like staying up late, is a lot of that being around people and sharing food? Because you mentioned we were talking earlier about the the point of a meal being sharing it with others. So I'm imagining as you surround yourself with more people, you're eating more food? Sometimes it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's it's really hard for me to uh, go to a party or go out to dinner and say, I'm going to keep total control right. you know sure. um, and I think that's true for, for a lot of people but also it's even aside from food I'm just nighttime 
oriented. Mm-hmm. I like I, the, I'll there are a lot of times when like between eleven at night and one or one thirty in the morning I'll be writing. Right. Um, so. So are you mostly home all day working? I mean, are you out and about? I am mostly home all day working, and and I tried to be honest by the the picture that I sent you of my <laughs> gourmet meal of frosted flakes yes. and blueberries with fat free milk um, <laughs> was next to my laptop at my desk, which is very typically. Uh, where I will eat lunch. And is your husband also home? I mean, you guys... No, he is generally... I mean, sometimes he's home, but um, he has an office uh, downtown, and he will often go there. And um, lunch is almost uh, never a meal that we have together. You know, we try to have dinner a lot together, but, but lunch is like sometimes we will sort of run into each other in the kitchen uh, in, in kind of a mutual state of stupefaction. But but like usually when we're eating lunch, we're trying to work out some work issue or writing issue while we're doing it. So so I rarely stop work for lunch. I will more often uh try to come up with a lunch that I can eat while I'm at my desk. And then this sort of makes me wonder, though, with the evening, when evening rolls around, is does food take on greater importance, or is it still about just getting food in there? No, no, no. I, it, um, I, I kind of believe in th- that dinners should be a pleasurable thing, whether, right. whether you, um, I mean, I believe that all food should be a pleasurable thing, but dinners, like whether you get takeout or whether you go out or whether you cook something, mm-hmm. um, I like I'm the one in our marriage who will often say let's eat at the table okay. like particularly if we uh, have cooked something mm-hmm. I really like the the one sort of put my foot down thing is that if we cook a meal it can't be in our laps in front of the TV that <laughs> it's because I really enjoy that time just sitting at a table and you you know it's a little more ceremonial you might pour yourself a glass of wine sure. talk through the day you you're not racing through it to get to the next thing do you have a no fo- phone rule at the table or are you guys allowed to be on your phones while you're sitting there I feel like that um, changes things in our modern time mostly we 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 don't we don't have a rule, but if we sit down at the table, generally we leave our phones behind. So okay, I'm here. So what are some of these dinners that that you'll make uh, together? Oh gosh, well let me think. Um, Tony is, as I said, he's gotten way more into cooking over the years that I've known him. So he makes like our sort of go to is. Um, uh, this really simple roast chicken that is from uh, Marcella Hazan's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's her chicken with two lemons. It's come uh, up on this podcast before. I forgot who, but somebody else makes that recipe all the time. Too. I think it's like, you know, when when cookbooks say something is foolproof, I am the fool. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm the test. You okay. know, I can mess up things really easily. Sure. That recipe is genuinely foolproof you get like a great bird every time it's incredibly simple all you all it requires is like the patience that you have to have when you roast a chicken Mm -hmm. um tony makes a different roast chicken that he really loves and that i've grown to love too which is um brined in a you have to start the day before or at least early in the morning of because you brine the whole chicken in um like a mix of water and a couple of other things, but mainly feta cheese. Really? Yes. Oh, like the the brine from feta cheese? Like the no, actual, the, like, the the actual feta cheese oh. in in water. You like put it in a big bag. Wow. It's kind of gross looking because yeah, it's cloudy and white and disgusting gross. looking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Doesn't sound gross tasting, but the visual. But is then you you roast it, and the chicken is just sublime tasting. And you use, I think, feta. Like you, you serve it on this bed of. Um, feta and pan juices and arugula okay and it's really really good and also like pretty foolproof so i've I've never tried that i'm going to definitely try that when i get back um i will also confess to the fact that we have used meal kits Mm -hmm. um which was in an attempt to uh get us to uh rely less on takeout gotcha. um like it, it was apron kind of stuff or yeah we um th- uh we didn't we haven't used blue blue apron uh the one we use i think is called fresh direct okay which is uh, from what i understand um more on the you cook it yourself side of meal kits than on the everything's prepared like mm-hmm. it's cooking it, you usually to to do one of those meal kits um 
it probably takes about 35 or 40 minutes to make the meal. To make food. Um, yeah. And, like, they send you all the ingredients, but you do everything. And they send you the recipe, but you do everything else. I'm curious, as, as I'm thinking about your marriage and just thinking about how smart and also capable of being critical both of you probably are, how do you handle it? Um, when you're giving feedback to each other's food, if if something's off, it's too salty. I mean, are, are you? I think we're completely honest, but it's not honest. Uh, uh, it never seems to be about judging like the person who cooked. <laughs> right. It's it's about like I don't like this. I think it's slimy or <laughs> it's too salty. Or and how is that received though? I mean, is it is, is that uh, go over pretty well? Really, really often we agree. Okay, like you know, huh. and I'm. I'm fine with cooking something um, and then saying, wow, this is not good, or Ugh, I overcooked that. Huh. And, and you know, Tony's fine exactly the same way saying it because, you know, it, it, there's always a kind of at least we tried. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to really yell at the person who made you dinner for not, you know. Well, it makes me think about the difference between cooking from a recipe and then cooking just from instinct because like from a recipe it's like it's very easy to say like well this recipe didn't work like that that was a bad idea to put pomegranates in with the you know right whereas if it's like if you're like I'm gonna do something that I feel inspired right now to take a chicken and do this crazy thing but you know it feels more personal right right and I am not a very good improvisatory cook at all the exception is like I'm I'm for the least shaming of my three lunch yes, options, we need, to, we need to finish the third. I am a, I'm a little bit more improvisatory, but for dinners, um, I I think partly because I really love baking mm-hmm. too, where you really do need to rely on recipes. You can't wing it as much because it's very much about measures, as you know, and times, and mm-hmm. you know things like that. I can get um, comfortable improvising when I've cooked something a lot, mm-hmm. and when I really kind of feel like I know my way through the recipe but I'm you know a huge stickler the first couple of times I cook something and you, you know it says no it's <laughs> like it says pomegranate molasses we can't <laughs> and I was looking at like comments on um f- uh, recipe sites sure. and they're all like you know this chicken milanese was bad I didn't have chicken, so I substituted sole, and I don't like milanese, so <laughs> right. I used tomato sauce. But it was nothing like what the recipe says. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I, like, I envy those people their complete, like, impunity. So are you a rule follower, generally speaking? In food. <laughs> not I, in everything else? Not in everything else. <laughs> okay, because it sounds like the, those rules are comforting to you in the, in the recipe I, I'm a pretty orderly person like okay. I really love schedules mm-hmm. I love making lists and checking things off um, so but then, then there are areas where I'm freer to okay. <laughs> you know because with like baking they do say that people who like to bake are more rule oriented they want to know precisely that's two cups of flour and two, you know that's a certain part of the brain is satisfied by baking and then the other part of the brain is more savory cooking and <laughs> Totally throwing in a dash of this, and, and there and there are areas like if we're making like a, a vegetarian chili or something, mm-hmm. I feel really comfortable saying, "Oh, let's try this," mm-hmm. or "Let's throw some of this in and see how it," you know, because that's my goes. personally that's like my favorite part of cooking is the sort of let's just wing it, you know. But it took me a long time to get there. I think it's a confidence thing too, right? To like feel like I, I can have people coming over and go to the farmer's market and buy a bunch of cauliflower and carrots and make dinner out of it. That is exactly what I don't know how to do. And, yeah. and it's not that I don't, uh, like, agree with doing it or that I don't want to do it. It's that I, um, it would be as foreign to me as, like, doing improv comedy. Uh-huh. Like, I, and it's funny because my brother, who's a, quite a good cook, um, that's the only way he cooks. Mm-hmm. He will walk into a store and say, oh, that looks good, or I have some of this left over, why don't I do this? And he's completely fine with, like, however it comes out, and often it comes out really well. Well, it makes me wonder about your approach to writing, because, you know, um, obviously you've written books, and you've written all these things. Do you, when you approach uh, a book, for example, are you as, um, is there any similarities to how you approach cooking, to how you approach a writing project? I mean, is it... It would probably be better if I approached cooking the way I approach writing projects because um, my approach to writing is you 
I work from an outline. You have to have a plan. You mm-hmm. have to know what you're doing. But then once uh, you're doing it, you also have to respect the fact that the actual doing of it can take you in a direction you never anticipated. Sure. Like, I think that's a good combination for cooking. Yes. It's not a combination for cooking that I have. But it makes me think also that you, <clears throat> you feel comfortable in the world of writing. I mean, it's like a world oh, that you sure. feel very safe in. So it's like you can you can go with the flow. And, you know, I feel the more that you cook, you probably would start to feel that way eventually. Or maybe not. Probably, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the reason we don't cook more is, like, the reason that a ton of people don't cook more. Our work schedules don't entirely match. We yeah. don't always know when we're going to be home. We're bad at like shopping for the week neither of us is the kind of cook where we can walk into a store and you know grab stuff we're not near a farmer's market Mm -hmm. um so all those excuses that everybody has (laughs) for like not uh making an evening meal a more central part of you know where if we go to the theater that starts at eight and so there's always this discussion of like oh are we just going to try to find a restaurant and get something afterwards are we going to eat before which is never like really all that fun to like we have to be done by seven. 15 right. so that we can get downtown you know it, it's stuff like that that we that, just saw um, slave play and we got an 11 p.m. reservation at an Italian restaurant afterwards and it was so late but it was really fun yeah yeah, yeah definitely I thought it's a New York thing to eat dinner at 11 o'clock at night oh I, I feel like that's a completely acceptable time to have dinner okay is that know? typical I mean we, no 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 uh, no, no, no. Okay. When, when we're home we'll, we'll usually eat around 8 gotcha um do you have certain rituals, though, or certain, I don't know, like times of year, like holidays and things where you do cook? We, sure? we cook Thanksgiving every year okay. for friends and family, and usually I take the lead on that. Mm-hmm. And I, I've cooked for uh, as few as six people and as many as 20 people for Thanksgiving. Wow. I, I also cook a Christmas meal. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah, we probably cook more in the fall, and we also we were lucky enough to have a... Um, a house in Provincetown yeah. that has a fantastic kitchen. So we like instantly, uh, we are twice as likely to cook there as we are to cook in New York, just because there's counter space mm-hmm. and it's easy and there's time. And, um, does it change how you cook when you're in Provincetown? Like, do you feel looser? Do you feel? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I just feel more relaxed and we're not tripping over each other. And, and, you know, we're not like we often we're working there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as much as we work in New York, cause both of our work is, is largely portable. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's just, you know, to have a really nice, well-equipped kitchen with, like, where everything works and, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, counter space. I, I honestly think that's, like, the secret ingredient. <laughs> you know, if you, have a, if you have a place where you like to do prep, yes. where it doesn't feel like, you know, you're going to bang your head against the cabinet or mm-hmm. everything's going to fall on you, it, it's half the battle. It's funny. Our neighbors just <clears> moved out, and they left a butcher block on the street, and I kind of just carried it into my kitchen and put it underneath the dish rack, and now it's like whoa, this like changed everything. Now I have a whole other place to chop things and put things and, you know. Yeah, like having having a, a good set of knives that you really like. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not a knife cultist, but it really makes a difference if your knives are yeah. sharp and, you know, the, it, it, they're fun to work with. But I, do we miss a step there? So you have, I just want to make sure we didn't miss the three lunches. So, oh. there's, so, there, <laughs> so there's a shameful lunch is no lunch. The lunch you had today is the middle and then the, the ambitious lunch or the, the pr- uh, prideful lunch. The, the, yeah. The, the lunch I would have preferred to photograph yeah. is like, I, if I'm really going to have lunch rather than breakfast as lunch, it's going to be a sandwich. Okay. And, and, I love sandwiches. They're like practically my favorite food in the world. And sandwiches are the one place where I will get experimental. I will put almost anything between two slices of bread, okay. including on occasion more bread. Like there are no <laughs> really rules. Yes. It, it's, so you feel liberated in the world of sandwiches. I do. Okay. I do. So what I'm, are some of the wilder creations you've come up with? Well, I, I like more than one thing on a sandwich, okay. um, and I really believe in it. Like, if possible, if you can do it, um, sweet, salty, crunchy. Like, those are this the is your Netflix cooking show, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Like, those are my three Netflix. episodes exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like th- there should be, 
or, or sweet, salty, crunchy, or sweet, savory, crunchy. Okay. But sweet, um, salty, crunchy. So like, okay, what are the three ingredients that? And and that? crunchy, I'll compromise on yeah. because like, if if there's something like if I make a really great uh, tuna salad sandwich. Mm-hmm. I'll toast or over toast sometimes the bread just so that could be the crunchy oh, okay. thing. You know, I was thinking like peanut butter jelly and potato chips would like fit well, through that. I, it's funny you mention that because I love putting potato chips on a sandwich. I yes. think they're a great underrated sandwich mm-hmm. ingredient. I also love putting fruit in a sandwich. Okay. Like like all summer, I know. See, so you yeah. cringe. I did a little. I, I, since <laughs> this is on the fruit, okay. Since this is a podcast, I want it on the record that you slightly recoiled. And I'm I'm not supposed to do that. I'm a therapist. But I'm a lunch <laughs> therapist, so I shouldn't judge. Yes. Um, this will sound weird, but like one of the most pleasurable sandwiches I had all summer long was blueberries. Like. Fresh blueberries. Okay, I'm just. I, did, I wasn't making a face. I did make a face, but I was just trying to process that in my head. Okay, so let me give you an example. Okay. Like whole grain bread. Yes. With let's say, um, chunky almond butter or cashew butter, okay. and then like a big fistful of fresh flu- blueberries. Uh-huh. Toast. Like mash it down a little, that just so they get squashed a little, and then eat it, and you have this really interesting combination what about of honey on there um sorry i interrupted I th- you there you i think i wouldn't necessarily like i i won't often do two sweet things okay. uh, this is and this is something i remember from a cookbook i read this and i i can't remember what cookbook it was but i think it might have been one of the several cookbooks that the um that were sort of part of the silver palette series in okay. the 80s which were a huge food influence for me mm-hmm. um and it wasn't a recipe it was just like a passing mention someone said like the platonic ideal of a sandwich is um on whole grain or crusty bread crispy bacon chunky peanut butter green apple slices okay and sprouts and Okay, I'm just pro- I'm just processing. But and they said because it has everything. It has fat. It has salt. There's something slightly juicy. There's something unctuous. The the peanut butter or nut butter uh-huh. spread. There's something like cold and crisp and sweet, which is the green apples. Right. Um, the sprouts I always thought was like bullshit. Well, honestly. sprouts have already like gone gone by the wayside, right? People don't eat sprouts anymore. Right. It's they? not that's not a food. No. Um. So, uh. But like you could put a piece of romaine lettuce on it if, if you really feel like sure. you like it sounds a little bit like the Elvis sandwich though which is bacon peanut butter and banana right okay. right um, but and I've made this sandwich and it really is good and, and the thing is you can't get too fancy with it like you can't use thick cut bacon okay because then what you end up with is a meat sandwich with <laughs> odd garnishes like gotcha. the bacon has to be like an ingredient of three or four, not the dominant ingredient. I feel like when we were talking about other areas of food, there was almost like a trepidation. But when we got to sandwiches, I feel like you've come into your own. I mean, I feel like oh, I'm <laughs> totally into sandwiches. Like I love sandwiches. Um, Chinese food on a sandwich, really? Yeah, like le- last night's leftover Chinese food, cold, okay. not reheated, but like for instance, shredded uh, chicken. In garlic sauce with um, julienne mushrooms and peppers mm-hmm. on like toasted pumpernickel or even rye if you want to like really cross cultures. Okay. Great. Uh, mostly I think the bread should be toasted, uh-huh. um, especially if you're throwing out a bunch of, you know, wet ingredients. There are things I've learned the hard way do not work in sandwiches at all that I got really excited about. Okay. I'm not sure why they work but they why they don't work but they definitely don't. Like what? You can't do orange slices. Oh yeah. It's too like it doesn't work with other food. It's not the right thing. But for instance, sometimes you can do pineapple. Mm-hmm. Um, like with ham or something? Yeah, yeah, with ham or with um leftover uh cold sliced roast pork. Oh, that sounds delicious. Um, that's so does Tony... Um, and then, like, yeah. a bunch of pepper on it, too. Okay. But has does your husband, does he um, ever say, like, Mark, you've gone too far? Like, <laughs> I want to... <laughs> I mean, does he come in... I mostly like, don't show him. Oh, you don't show him, so he doesn't even walk in on you like, so dumping Chinese cartons and stuff. There, there have been a couple of moments when he's like, what are you eating? <laughs> and it's like, never mind. It's <laughs> fine. So it's a private sandwich journey it's that you're pri- on. It's not for other people. It's yeah. for yourself. Yeah, like, it's... it's I, I, I'm... 
I think fruit is like like and again you can't do melon I, that doesn't really work right. for me um, but uh, or maybe it would work for someone else so if you if we were going to go to one of those places that like have celebrity sandwiches um, you know I don't know which deli in New York does that anymore but they right. used to have like you know the Rodney Dangerfield the you know someone that would have like pastrami and coleslaw like what would be the Mark Harris what would be the sandwich oh my gosh that's, that's so hard to say I mean it like if it was Honest, it would probably start with like leftover rotisserie chicken. Okay. For instance. I'm on board already. And then maybe uh, put a little salt and pepper on that. Sure. And then maybe for the sweet thing, go with like um, apricots. Okay. Uh, Somehow I kind of anticipated that. I was thinking peaches for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, peaches would, like, if they weren't super drippy, like, yeah. peaches could be absolutely delicious. What about a jam? What about, like, an apricot jam on I, there? Yeah, I might absolutely do that if it's um, chunky enough or coarse yeah. enough. I'm not, I don't really love jelly, okay. but but jams or preserves, sure. With like mustard, maybe, too? Is that too much? Would that go, I just want to give some zip to it, Yeah. I don't know. The, like, the mustard touching the... Um, Jam would freak me out, but Different what I what I might bread. do on the other side yeah. is um, sriracha. Oh, okay, I like that. I need, I think it needed some heat or some something savory. Yeah, some yeah. kind of like I I I do like hot sauce. So. so sriracha, roasted chicken, salt, pepper, and apricot jam is the Mark Harris. I'm willing to go with that. <laughs> like on probably on um, a slightly. Dark, heavy bread like a, a brown rye or a pumpernickel or something. I Some, think we something give, with a little. We should give a prize to the person who's actually listening to this who makes this. <laughs> yeah. Send them a copy of your books or uh, my book or something. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there are things like uh, that I want to work on sandwiches, mm-hmm. but um, that don't work. Like I, the thing I've never been able to crack is nuts. I've, oh. I've always felt like there should be a way to get like cashews into a sandwich or almonds it doesn't work it's, well there's a recipe for I mean to make your own nut butters I mean like, right. you do that but you don't want you're talking like actual but like nut. whole nuts yeah. it's, it's, it's too texturally mm-hmm. you're like you know what is this in my sandwich should I lose a tooth yeah. it's like too hard too big <laughs> well okay I'm going to do the, the the now like classic therapy thing we're going we're gonna to go back to your childhood oh god! because I feel like we okay. need to now like start to connect some dots so where did you grow up I grew up in New York City okay on the um, Upper West Side. The Upper West Side. Okay, got it. Um, my uh, my father was Jewish and my mother was Catholic, so okay. I think there's probably some cuisine stuff in there. But mm-hmm. but I think the truer thing I could say is that my, I uh, I grew up in the 70s and my mother was a working mother. She mm-hmm. was a doctor, so um, I grew up in the like. She had a very specific, pretty limited repertoire of stuff that she cooked. We had pot roast. Mm-hmm. We had meatloaf. We had, uh, um, like, chicken cutlets. Mm-hmm. We had pork chops. Um, and uh, the, here's the thing, and I feel, like, slightly bad about saying this. My father, like, did not cook at all. And he, and he was Jewish, he said? He was Jewish. How did he feel about the pork chops? Was he okay? Oh, he fine. He didn't care. He, he wasn't, wasn't like, Yeah, no. He wasn't. And he was barely Jewish. I mean, right. It was like... Uh, uh, and also, my, my I should say that my grandfather, my mother's father, um, was a butcher. Oh. So okay. she came, like, from food heritage, you know, a Polish gotcha. butcher. So so we grew up with, like, Polish meats and sausages and stuff like that. Nice. Um, and... The thing I feel bad about saying is my mother was not a great cook and she uh, and we grew up my brother and I grew up in the era of convenience food like I don't think I had like anything but minute rice Mm -hmm. and frozen vegetables and like mashed potatoes made out of like mashed potato mix Mm -hmm. like that's what we had a lot when we were kids because she was working and there just wasn't time and every convenience food you could try Mm -hmm. we tried and also that was sort of the era where that was an exciting thing that people could like open a packet and put mashed potatoes in a pot and make dinner you know it it felt like a novelty right exactly I remember like being in college before like saying to my mother, you know, but like it actually tastes better if you make real rice, you know, if you make real mashed potatoes. But the thing I want to say about her is that she was also an enthusiastic cook. She loved to bake Mm -hmm. and she made it really clear from the time I was old enough to sort of stand in in the 
kitchen on a stool and watch her cook, that cooking was a fun thing. Right. Um, and she was like a, she'd make desserts, she'd make puddings, mm-hmm. she'd, you know, she, she would, when she had time, she would be really happy to like try a recipe or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually, as, as we grew up and, got older and she got older she actually started liking to cook more and and it was almost like a revelation to her to read a cookbook and and see that like oh you can try this different combination of ingredients i mean because we didn't have a lot of cookbooks when i was growing up i think we had like the new york times cookbook sure which was classic. like classic and also a little bit like boring and grim it's like an encyclopedia basically yeah there's like cookbooks that are are sort of household staples that I have never enjoyed at all. I feel like bad about saying that, mm-hmm. but there's cookbooks that give you like no pleasure to read. Like the joy of cooking. Totally. Ironically. Yes. <laughs> the joy of cooking is a kind of grim book. <laughs> yeah. And the New York times cookbook was another kind of grim book. And what kind of doctor was your mom? She was a radiologist. Oh, wow. So did she, when she baked and things, was she, did she liberate herself from like the health repercussions of the, you know, did, was she worried about cholesterol? I mean, you Oh about, God, no. Yeah, I okay. mean like the, the, the health repercussions, I mean, uh, like we grew up on beef, you know. <laughs> so she like, wasn't thinking about that. All stuff. beef, meat, love, yeah. pot roast. You know that it was. Gotcha. Yeah. What did your father do? My father was a lawyer. A lawyer. Okay. Yeah. Doctor, lawyer. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, and so, when, so when you were growing up, and you had that revelation later that oh, you can make rice with real rice, and you can right, make- and mashed potatoes take better, taste better if you mash them. But it's funny because it's like for me that discovery of learning to cook for myself was part of my like differentiating myself from my parents was sort of like oh, this is like a world I can create for myself. I mean, did food take on that role for you at all, or? Um, I'm trying to think like it, it I mean holidays were a big thing mm-hmm. for my family and my mother did like stopping everything to make like elaborate meals including stuff that she hadn't tried before. Mm-hmm. So so I think I did grow up not like eating great adventurous meals necessarily week in week out mm-hmm. but but knowing that cooking was a fun thing that could be largely exploratory but you said you know? so just to make sure I understood that you said that she wasn't a great cook no but she was an enthusiastic cook yeah which I think matters more in a way mm-hmm. like um, and she she wasn't a cook who would feel bad about like there were nights when like the green beans burned and that was life you that know sounds like your reaction with Tony when you guys have a meal that you don't like and you're just like oh that doesn't work you know it sounds like it's similarly casual there was never any kind of nasty judgment or 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 shaming or critique like my father uh, who as i said didn't cook was like grateful that food was being put on the table Mm -hmm. you know and Um, um, did you have a recipe of hers though that you did really like that you do kind of think about um i mm, (laughs) (laughs) nothing uh, well (laughs) you, you know this is kind of this is not good, and I wouldn't recommend it, but mm-hmm. it was, like, there was this dessert she used to make when I was a kid that I really loved, which was, and I don't mean, like, mighty fine puddings or something, which was, like, often our dessert, but sure. she found this recipe for this thing where you put, like, vanilla wafers in a in a cupcake tin, okay, and then you put some kind of sweetened cream cheese mixture that you baked for like a little while and then you topped it with like canned pie filling or something and that like it was everything about this would have been better if you had made everything from scratch make the cookies yourself the cream cheese i guess is sort of made from scratch but like you know make your own blueberry or cherry compote or anything it sounds like an easy cheesecake recipe It, it was like an easy cupcake cheesecake recipe but they were really pretty and they were completely delicious and she liked making them Uh and so in a weird way that thing that was from like the back of a box was a kind of like oh you can you can make something that's purely about pleasure um and it had crunchy salty uh sweet in there well different textures was a big thing also uh she made babka she made like Ah. a particular kind of uh not too sweet uh, Polish babka that was a f- old family recipe. My grandmother, her mother, was like, 
a very enthusiastic, very good, and very natural cook. Mm-hmm. So I think it's sort of passed down through the generations a little bit. I mean, did you say Polish? Were they yep. Polish? So what were some of the? Your, did you did you remember your grandmother's recipes? Or oh, uh, I mean, she she made. Uh, Pierogi. She right. made this pastry called Placek. She uh-huh. uh, um, punchki. There's the, like a whole bunch of stuff. Borscht, which I did not like, and like got in huge trouble once for like pouring into her philodendron. Um, <laughs> so I didn't have to eat it. I still like <laughs> her philodendron is a funny detail. <laughs> really, I, don't know, I remember it so vividly. Borscht in the philodendron. Because I remember like thinking I can conceal this yeah. by pouring it into the plant, sure. and then just this huge pink thing, <laughs> like it did not disappear. Oh my um, god, that's hilarious. So, <laughs> did it change the color of the plant? Uh, God, if the plants survived, <laughs> it would be amazing. But yeah. um, beets are still one of the very few things I like. Absolutely, flat out, cannot eat. You were um, President Obama. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he was right about many things, and that was one of them. <laughs> Why that? Um, but uh, but you know, it was really hard to get her recipes. I, I have some of them, but but you know, they're half written in Polish, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. It's that old country thing of like knead it until it's done, right? You know, throw in a little blah blah blah. Um, well, in terms of the therapy of this all, I'm starting to think a little bit about like your mom being a doctor, but then coming home and making this food that you appreciated her doing, but didn't think was great. And I'm thinking of you being a writer and cooking things, but like you know, being a little casual about it. And you know, is, is there a parallel in in that at all? Like. The sort of approach to cooking that you both sort of have, where it's like you have your job, that's the dominant thing. It's like you're writing all day and you'll throw some cereal in a bowl and eat it, you know. Right. With her, she's coming home from a long day of work and she's putting a box of mashed potatoes in a pot. Right. I mean, she had two little kids that she had to feed um, every night. And, uh, you know, she didn't have time to, like, you know, put on an apron and come up with, like, you know, an endless array of new recipes. So she cooked what worked. But I guess maybe what I'm asking is, do you think there also is a sense that it's, it wasn't worth her time to become a better cook? Like, like that it was- I don't, I don't know that it was ever like uh, a calculated right. decision. Like, it, I think it was more like she had a thousand things that she had to do mm-hmm. for sure. me and for my brother that did not necessarily have to do with food. Help us with our homework, get us mm-hmm. dressed, get us bathed. And food was like one more of those things. Um, and as as we got older and there was more room in her life to do stuff, mm-hmm. uh, she became a much better cook. Oh, so she became a better cook. Absolutely. Okay, so she had you more time. So once yeah. she had the time, she became better. Yeah, and when she yeah. retired, she really, you know, the, the, she was like a, a good cook waiting to emerge from the okay. circumstances of her life. Okay, that, that clears that. I'm, I'm curious with you, though. I, I don't know if I have a clear sense yet. Do you think that you're a good cook? Um, in some ways, I think I'm a good cook. Okay. Like, I, you know what? I think I'm really good at reading a recipe and knowing how it's going to taste mm-hmm. or knowing how it's going to work. Like I can, I can definitely read a recipe and say, no, we're not going to do that because this is badly planned. And mm-hmm. like the, when it says to do that, that won't work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like reading music or something or like yeah, hearing it. In your like head. I have a good sense of, uh, of what works based on what's written. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't get bewildered by instructions and I love long ingredient lists like I'm not I'm not put off at all by like oh we have to go get these 18 things to make this I really like that but we heard your um, cookbooks that you don't like so what are the ones that you do love what are your favorites um I mean, I don't use the silver palette ones that much anymore because it is a certain kind of super rich '80s cooking that yeah. that like time has passed by. But I still, I still love them. There's there's genuine joy in Who are them. the authors was it Sheila Sheila uh, Lukens and Julie Rosso. Okay, they, and I like I have those. They are well worn. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I. Um, I think Molly O'Neill is great. I love her New York cookbook and this book that she wrote called One Big Table. She um, just passed away. I know, I know. Yeah. It was a huge loss. Like she, she's 
like I love the way she writes about food history. Yeah. I, I'm still talking about her in the present tense because I refuse to believe she's gone. Yeah. But, but like her cookbooks are alive and wonderful. I went to an event that she held on Ellis Island that was really cool, and it was like a panel discussion with Calvin Trillin and all these people. But really, it was like food from immigrants, and you know, it was really really cool. It was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, Essentials of Classic Italian Cooking, Marcella Hazan's book. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody. Like, that's just, you have to have that, right? Have you made a tomato sauce with a butter? Yes. That's incredible. Yes. Like, th- that book se- just seems to have, like, life secrets in mm-hmm. it. Like, oh, once you like once you know how to make that tomato sauce, yes. you know how to make tomato sauce. And it's a gateway recipe, I think, for anyone who doesn't know how to cook. You literally just need to get a pot, a can of tomatoes, half a stick of butter, and half an onion, and put it in there and turn on the heat and right. have tomato sauce. And, and something is transformed, which yes. is kind of thrilling. Um, I have a big weakness for... Uh, like hyper processy books. Like I really love Cooks Illustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love knowing the eighteen things you did wrong before you got this recipe for sugar cookies right. right. I like you know J. Kenji Lopez Alt and, oh, yeah, and all the stuff that he does. Um, I just I find it fascinating reading mm-hmm. and for kind of go to. I want to make something, but I don't know what I want to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the the huge omnibus gourmet cookbooks that have been published in recent years, the gourmet cookbook, gourmet fast, easy, fresh, and gourmet today. Mm-hmm. I think if I was like giving someone a set of three books where it's like, okay, this will at least give you a huge array of possibilities and you can discover more specifics about what you like. Hmm. Um, you know, and then there's cookbooks I would never cook from but I love to read which are like Thomas Keller books sure, you uh, know just you know the per se cookbook is like I'm never going to make anything out right. of that but it's so because th- it's so like I always think chef cookbooks are really mm-hmm. interesting because there's two kinds of them there's the I'm going to teach you how to do this at home mm-hmm. and I'm not going to compromise yep. one bit but I'm going to show you how I do it and sometimes it's nice to know like oh like if I spent like 16 hours like reducing a stock on my stovetop it would be pretty extraordinary but I don't need to do that but that's, that's what that would be you know right. like you, you can become aware but I'm curious like as you're talking about enjoying these chef cookbooks because a lot of most of your books are about directors right I mean about filmmakers yeah yeah. do you see a similarity between great chefs and great filmmakers um that's that's interesting I mean I think there are I think the similarity is that uh like rigidity like not rigidity but like um exactitude Mm -hmm. versus willingness to improvise is a thing that um differentiates some chefs from other chefs and some directors from other mm-hmm. directors. You know? Totally. That's a very uh, interesting way to think about it. So, I mean, the only... The cookbooks I sort of have an aversion to are, like... You know, like, I know Alice Waters is a food genius, and I totally respect her. So this is not an Alice Waters diss, but it doesn't, like... It doesn't help me to read a recipe for how like a perfect tomato sandwich can be like a beautiful lunch because the odds are that I'm not going to have the perfect tomato that I pull out of my non-existent garden <laughs> to put on the perfect piece of bread right. that I bought from my non-existent farmer's market. I'm going to push like, back for a second. I'm going to ask you, because you mentioned this earlier that you don't live near a farmer's market, but do you live in, you live in New York? Yeah. So you have the Union Square farmer's market, which is one of the best in the country okay but that's three miles from oh, where i, I don't live. know where you live so I'm, okay I'm so not, i'm just okay but there's other farmers markets here right? yeah there there are but okay. but um so but it's, being like a very tough therapist right? no, no 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 it's fine <laughs> I, I i can deal with tough love but and and i think part of it is a little bit because i don't know how to uh walk into a farmer's market and and spot the thing that is going to inspire me to make a great meal. I mean, of course, I live on the Upper West Side, like right near Fairway and yeah. Whole Foods, so I have access to great ingredients, and also because of because it's New York, a great number of interesting ethnic ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, but so so it's much more about but but like 
can I find the perfect tomato? No. Yes, and you I, can. I, I think you can. I, I don't think I can. <laughs> yes, I don't think can. I can. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm like, look, I'm saying this because I lived in New York when I started all the, like my food stuff, and like I was so intimidated by farmers markets. I mean, I I literally had no idea what to do. But part of like my comfort as a cook and like becoming more improvisatory and stuff is ultimately just going there and looking for this beautiful stuff. And I think, I mean, I just, I'm only saying this because I... But is beautiful going to, like, taste the best? Because yeah. sometimes that's not necessarily, like, the best-looking tomato is not necessarily the best-tasting tomato, right? Like, like sometimes big, really ugly heavy, tomatoes. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a fan of Alice Waters' approach. So, as you're saying this, I'm just sort of, like, thinking in my head, like, well, why do I like all that? You know, like, why? Because, why? like, for me, like, getting that tomato and getting the really good bread is the one of the best sandwiches you can make. I, I think that her approach is great but in terms of like practical cooking when I'm looking for recipes mm-hmm. I I want a recipe that is forgiving enough yeah. so that if I don't get the perfect ingredients mm-hmm. I can still make a really great meal that's very interesting I mean like I think that a lot of people feel that way and I think that it speaks to something. I don't know why. I mean, I'm not even sure, as you're saying but that. It, yeah. Well, I think what it speaks to is it feels like um, a test that you can fail before you even walk into the kitchen. You know? Like, if it, like already you have blown it because of what's in your bag. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. But it's but it's also about trusting yourself, right? That maybe like maybe you do have the ability to pick out a good tomato. You know, it's like right to having the confidence to Wh- which you can learn. Yeah, I mean, I I I didn't learn a, a really good trick for picking peaches mm-hmm. until this year, and I was so excited What's that the I trick? learned it. Um, uh, don't pay attention to well, I mean, of course, the trick with peaches is like let them ripen. Yeah, you know, and then. Find the very brief window between ripe and overripe mm-hmm. and eat them then. But um, the, I don't remember where I read it, but it it said the only uh, the only sure sign of um, a peach is look at the stem end and make sure there's no green anywhere near it whatsoever, not mm-hmm. even a tinge of green. And if there isn't, that peach will probably ripen into something that's okay. And I would say like eighty percent of the time that pretty much has worked. Okay, so I'm so excited to know that that peach <laughs> trick because I love peaches. I was also thinking like as we were talking about farmers markets and stuff like in terms of being politically engaged, and um, I'm thinking about also just your husband's plays and things like you know it's like is is there something elitist about going to a farmers market versus like doing a recipe where everybody can do this recipe? I mean, is there <sighs> something about that 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 resonates, or I, am I? Off base. I, well, first of all, I no, I wouldn't call farmers markets elitist okay. because I think like there, there's nothing elitist about like yeah, it, it, if you have the options to have the luxury of um, uh, being um, conscious about what you eat, mm-hmm. whether it's local, whether it's organic stuff like that. I mean, that's not elitist, but it is a privilege that some people have and some people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think elitism is when you're oblivious about that. Right. So uh, if you if you are writing a cookbook, and I'm not singling out anyone here, but if you're writing a cookbook and you say... Uh, Everyone can have a roof garden. Well, no, everybody can't. Like, <laughs> That's the name of my next book. <laughs> everyone can have a roof garden. Like, I, I, I live in a big city where everyone manifestly cannot have a roof garden. Sure, it sounds like Gwyneth um, Paltrow's next book, maybe. <laughs> right, a little, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like you know, I get what you're saying, though. Yeah. Um. So, so I do think it's important. Like God, I would love you know to grow all my own vegetables or something that's not going to happen in my apartment so um i think i think cooking that like cookbooks and cooking ideas that help people who don't necessarily have access to the best stuff Mm -hmm. um eat better and and eat more enjoyable meals is every bit as important as food activism that tries to create a world in which those people do have access to better stuff. That's an interesting way to put it. Um, well, we're nearing the end of this podcast. How do you? How are you feeling? Do you feel thoroughly analyzed? Um, I, yeah, I feel pretty much like <laughs> laid bare and, and and not too ashamed. Oh, no. I, I, I mean, I, I think I think that we've learned a lot. I mean, I'm kind of... 
I feel like the sandwich thing in particular is like a fascinating window into your food life, you know? I feel I want to have a Mark Harris sandwich. But um, every podcast begins with what did you have for lunch, but it ends with what will you be having for dinner tonight? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, That's a good question. Well, uh, let me think. Um, My husband's home, so the, the... the th- and he's grocery shopping right now. Oh in wow! Fact. Not at a so, farmers market, I imagine. Not not at a farmers <laughs> market. I think he's at Fairway. Okay. So um, tonight could be a really simple homemade dinner of like uh, pan grilled chicken mm-hmm. and um, and rice with the drippings from the uh, chicken and and maybe a vegetable, which sounds so boring but i think we we had like an indulgent meal uh, indulgent meals for the last couple of nights oh, at restaurants um no like uh, you know we had takeout one night and another night we were at a party and we were kind of grabbing sort of whatever was on the table mm-hmm. and um so so tonight felt like a little austerity was called for and that like chicken rice vegetable is a really simple nice meal for us how do you do the rice is there a rice cooker is there a stovetop basmati um it's usually like basmati or texmati or one of the mati variations oh, okay. rice um uh like microwaved mm-hmm. um but uh, we've worked out the timings that are not the same timings that, like the timings <laughs> and the power levels we've we found what rice <laughs> works for us oh, okay you know gotcha um, and what about the vegetable what do you think it's going to be uh it could be um steamed broccoli with lemon juice and maybe a little hot sauce which is my weakness okay um this sounds very wholesome and and pleasing yeah like it's if if you asked on another night it would so easily be like we're gonna get indian food Mm -hmm. um or we're gonna get uh we're gonna go out to like a local restaurant but tonight i think might actually honestly be a cooking night because tonight's what? Monday night? Yeah, Monday night feels like a night where you're just Right, Monday. Up. Yeah, Tony's in rehearsals for a, a play, but Monday is the day off, so we have a little more time mm-hmm. to do stuff. And also, yeah, Monday is like resolution day. It's like right. I, ha- I haven't blown the week yet. That's how and, I and, feel on Monday, too. Yeah. yeah. Reset the week. And I don't even feel that I blew it with the Frosted Flakes and, <laughs> and blueberries. I don't feel like you did either. I you think know. you should feel very good about it. It's, it was okay. It was, And I will say it was better than nothing. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't feel the, as, as ashamed of it as, um, or that you don't feel as ashamed of it as it seemed like you did over text message. I, I would have felt very bad coming to lunch therapy with a picture of an empty plate. <laughs> that would just seem like a cry for help. Better though than a picture of your butthole, probably. Yes, um, yes. No, not you know, your butthole, well, well I'm, I'm, I'm very selective about um, <laughs> the podcasts that I do, and, yeah. and butthole-related ones are, are off the list. Okay, well, that's you know. good to know. That's I don't know, like maybe Dan Savage will ask me to be on one day. That'll be the next one. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mark. This was fantastic. (laughs) Thank you, Adam. This was really fun. (laughs) 